Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of BU with Declan Edwards. My, 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 how exciting. We are back for season three of the show, and you are about to listen to season three, episode one of the Wizards of Wellbeing miniseries. So if you're new here or you need a reminder, that is the mini series on the show where I get to sit down with people who I feel are making absolute magic in the lives and in the well-being of other people. And I cannot think of a better person to kick off season three with. So I'll give you a little bit of a backstory before revealing who it is. I first came across this person on LinkedIn when a mutual contact of ours, James Hunt, uh, started tagging me in her videos and in her content and I really resonated with her perspective on thriving, on flourishing, on well-being and was really intrigued about her background and her work. Then I went and watched her TED talk. So she has an amazing TED talk on YouTube. We'll have the links for that in the show notes. And the more I listened to her speak, the more I went, wow, like, she really gets it. And I, I love the perspective and the approach that she's taking. So I decided to have a bit of a screw it, let's do it moment of my own and a bit of a green light moment of my own, that equal fear and excitement and added her on LinkedIn and just sent a message and said, hey, I'm loving what you're doing. I'd love for you to be a guest on the show. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I sent that message with absolutely no expectations that I would even get a response, let alone a yes. It was one of those sort of shoot for the star moments. You know, there's no harm in trying. What's the worst that can happen? And much to my delight and to my honor, she actually responded and said, you know what? That sounds great. Let's organize something. So today, I am so grateful to be joined by Dr. Haley Watson. So she's a clinical psychologist and the founder of Open Parachute, which is an amazing organization that runs programs for students, parents, teachers, and the community on mental health and well-being. She's currently making an impact in four different locations around the world, and I cannot even begin to tell you how much of a ripple effect that would be spreading. Haley originally did her PhD in changing bullying and victim dynamics, and I love this, guys, we talk about it in the interview, has this perspective that psychology is not a dirty word and is passionate about bringing the benefits and tools from psychology and therapy to our day-to-day lives. There is so much alignment with what Dr. Haley does and with what we do here at BU. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. You know what? Let's stop building up the suspense. Let's get straight into it. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Haley Watson to the show. Okay, Haley. first of all, thank you so much for uh, coming onto the show and putting aside a bit of your time on your weekend to uh, share some of your experience and background and knowledge. I actually did a bit of uh, extra research, the good old journalist in me from the first year of university came out and I'm so excited about some of the things we're going to be unpacking today and sharing. I know they're, they're topics that our audience is really quite passionate about and interested in. Now, obviously, you're a clinical psychologist and the founder of Open Parachute, which I looked into the work that you're doing. It's absolutely amazing and so needed in schools and with teachers. Um, Something that I equally share as a passion as well is working in that education space. I'm curious to dive more uh, later in the episode about your PhD in changing bullying and victim um, dynamics. I think that's a really interesting topic to unpack. But before we do that, I'd like to know a bit more about the person behind the professional. And really, what got you interested in this area of research? What got you passionate about this? What got you you dedicated to doing the amazing work that you're doing in this space? Beautiful. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here. Um, And it's a great question. And I think I love that question because it really gets to the heart of, of 
my whole mission, I guess, and my whole vision and what I really believe, which is that the hardest things that we go through are the things that lead to our greatest growth and the most opportunity in our lives to do wonderful things for ourselves and for the world. So I think, you know, the initial impulse for getting into even the field of psychology I actually started in criminology, but it was this idea of really wanting to understand why people did things to hurt each other. And so when I look at where that original motivation came from, that came because I experienced childhood trauma. You know, so when I was really, really young, uh, my house was bombed five times over the period of a year and a half, which is this bizarre experience where I lived in fear and I lived with this and it, they, we never found out who was bombing us. So it was like this literally, you know, I call them the boogeyman, you know, this like scary thing, person unknown um, attacking us. And so I think because I experienced that trauma, I really went on this, I started on this quest of trying to understand the human mind and understand why people would do that. And then that led me, you know, I, I did a degree. So I'm from Canada originally. My undergraduate degree is in criminology. And I did that in Vancouver. And by the end of that degree, I really, you know, I really started to understand the justice system. And I started to understand why, you know, answering that question a little bit, which was, you know, people do things to hurt each other because they've experienced something hard. And, you know, things like the justice system don't, you know, often don't help people heal or make positive choices. They actually end up harming people more and, you know, creating more closed-minded um, perspectives. And so at the end of that degree, I started, I started working with teenagers for the first time. So I, I mentored this 14-year-old girl who was in the justice system. She, she had done some, you know, robberies and a few um, crimes and some drug crimes. And she was 14 and she was just this amazing, amazing, wise, wonderful person who had experienced so much trauma. And it, that was the first insight into how much I wanted to work with teenagers because there's so much potential. Like being a teenager is hard. You know, there's, you know, going, there's so many emotions going on. And when, when kids go through hard things, it's such a, an intense time. And there's so much opportunity because teenage minds are so open and, and, you know, teenagers are capable of so much. And I guess what I saw there is that when you just care about someone, when you, when there's someone there to, to reflect love and respect and encouragement, you know, that their whole lives can change. And so many of the things that are happening in the world that, you know, people are hurting each other that can all be resolved. If we just figure out how can we, impact teenagers and and bring a different perspective to them so i think that really started the journey and then from there i went on to you know i moved to london actually and worked with kids that had gone through really you know teenagers that that were really struggling in london and i loved that work and i just got became more and more passionate about working with teenagers and finding creative ways to engage them and really you know figure out how can we how can we really get to them in a way that works for them and is meaningful. Um, and so that led me to, of course, the program that created Open Parachute, which is using documentary stories. So really saying, okay, let's film teenagers and have them, them be the ones that become the heroes of their generation and have their stories be the ones that inspire each other. So I think that it's always been this sort of mix of my own 
personal journey and passions and then and then just wanting to be creative in in that in sort of how do we reach them how do we reach teenagers and i love that approach of really using like storytelling as the medium to start these conversations because i know it can seem like such a daunting conversation to have i know a lot of our members at bu and a lot of our listeners are parents who kind of feel a bit left in the dark or unsure of how to even broach that conversation with their kids um, yes, I can only exactly. imagine that that is such a common experience. Absolutely. Because at that age, you know, this is the other unique thing about adolescence is that they're developmentally primed to listen to their peers, not their parents. And so, you know, they, they're at that age where they're, they're actually meant to do that because that's the only way they can figure out how to individuate and to find out who they are and how they're going to survive in the world after, you know, when they move out of home. And so they really listen to you know, social media, they listen to what their friends are saying. And, and so the way to reach them is through those channels, mm. you know, providing them. So because it's really scary as a parent, they say, well, you know, they're on social media, we can't control that. You know, they're listening to their friends, their friends are doing all sorts of things we can't control. Well, this is why I designed the program this way is that we, we find these heroes so that that starts the conversation. So that the first, so that, they, that becomes, you know, self-reflection and working on yourself and understanding and taking accountability becomes a cool and interesting thing to do. And then it's so much easier for the parents to engage in those conversations because then it's coming from, from the teenager and it's not just one more thing that the, the teacher or the parent is telling them to do. It's not, you know, it's, it's actually, this is something that I care about because I can see that people you know, I can see role models and we all need that, right? We need to see a pathway. We can't just be told what to do. We have to see, okay, there's someone like me that, you know, has gone through things that maybe I feel really ashamed of, but, but look, they're talking about it openly and then look, they got through it and actually it led to great things. It's like when we use storytelling, all the, all the pennies drop, you know, so we don't have to try to lay it out in that kind of forceful, way we just we just lead lead them there you know on lead them on this journey where they figure it out for themselves and i suppose that opens the door for so much that we know helps that transition process too like self-determination and autonomy and taking emotional responsibility that really we can't see those things happen in that prescribed forced yes. sort of approach whereas when we take this more conversational approach um it really does open the door for that exactly i mean it's like that same thing i mean when you when you think of you know, things that you really care about and that you relate to and that you remember and that you take in. It's never because someone gave you A plus B equals C. And, you know, it, it's because you connected to a person or a story or you learn, you know, it's, it's personal. When it becomes personal or it's meaningful in your life or you experience it, those are the things that actually teach us because those are the things we can connect to. So it's like, it's like you know, we try to make everything um, it's like we try to find the answer and give the answer to students, but actually what teenagers need is to know how to ask the questions mm. because that's, that's, what's meaningful. Mental health is not one single thing. There's not going to be one answer. There's not one thing that we can do to be healthy. You know, it's, it's, can we keep asking ourselves, how does this feel to me? Does this feel okay? Do I like this? Is this, is this okay for me? You know, that when they can, when they can build that skill, that's when they can figure out how to build a life of meaning and purpose and joy. 
and I'll never forget like when I was so when I came across my first sort of mentor coach sort of role model in high school we were sort of in the, the last years of high school we had an amazing speaker come in uh, that I'd stumbled across online a great man called Sebastian Terry and I'll never forget he sort of opened it with I want to start this by saying I'm not an expert on you and I never will be and yep. it was so refreshing to me for, for this, you know, going through a lot of struggles at the time with, with body image and self-esteem and uh, identity struggles on figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And I remember just sitting there going, huh, okay, so now the ball's in my court. Like, he's going to open the door and lay some foundations here, but the ball's in my court to actually do something with this. And what resulted was a beautiful friendship and partnership mm -hmm. that lasted long, in, you know, long into the rest of my life. And I don't think that would have happened without that openness. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that sense of that vulnerability of there's no, there's no external expert. And that's where, you know, I really strongly believe in bringing the world, the field of psychology and the tools of psychology into the everyday life. Because when we have this paradigm, and yes, there's a place for um, individual psychology sessions. Absolutely. That's very important. And it's also important that we infuse this throughout our daily lives so that it's not the expert that knows everything that we need to find the answers from, but we start being able to look inwards, right? And so what that person gave you was that, that space to say, you know, what's best for you, mm. you know? And when, you know, I get tingles even thinking of that, like how amazing is that, that empowerment of saying, it's your life, you can make what you want of it. And when teenagers can start thinking like that, they are capable of so much. You know, they really, it's, it's like giving them that level of responsibility is one of the best things we can do for them because then they start taking action and ownership of the way their life unfolds. Yeah, I love that. And it really resonated with me what you were just saying with bringing psychology and making it more applicable to everyday life. And I do think there is still a bit of, well, there's a lot of stigma around psychology still, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, our approach at BU has always been, how do we make well-being really practical? So not just wishy-washy and talk about you know, it's nice to say, you know, be kinder to yourself, but how do I actually do that? Yes. What does that uh, actually even mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then make it, you know, a lot more proactive. I do find a lot of people fall into the trap of, we sort of push the boundaries like, oh, it's not that bad yet. It's not that bad yet. Okay. Now I'm at the point of burnout. Now I need to go get help. It's like, well, ideally we should have started this process a bit earlier. Um, yes. And then for us, how can we make it fun? Like, how can we make it conversational yes. and a bit tongue in cheek? And you know, we've yes. set up the whole group as uh, almost a US collegiate system. We have freshmen, uh, sophomore nice. year we go on a spring break every year and people Love are at first a bit taken aback being like this is about mental and emotional well-being and and we're having a spring break i'm like yeah <laughs> of course let's have yeah. fun with it and Absolutely. I, yes. I saw on your website this that as soon as i logged in i was like oh my god you're speaking my language this big tagline that said psychology is not a dirty word Yes. Talk to me about this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, it's exactly everything that you're saying. It's like, we think that, well, first of all, we think that we should only seek out help or work on our well-being or mental health if there's something wrong, right? Which already is, is setting up a, di a dynamic where there's right and there's wrong. And that in itself is problematic. Because all that does is open the door to self-judgment and criticism. Because who are we to say what's right and wrong, right? Is there really an ultimate and, you know, one way to live or one feeling to have? And, you know, our, our culture does this as well with feelings, right? Happy is good, sad is bad, right? But actually, 
it's in the sadness. It's that's when we have the most growth, right? When we feel sad, we reflect and we ponder and we dig deep. And that's what gives us a next insight or next level of growth. So it's really, you know, my whole aim is to flip that whole paradigm of saying, we need to fix ourselves or there's something wrong with us or, you know, psychology is only when there's something wrong. It's, it's, you know, what I've learned in my own life is that usually we start in a crisis point. You know, most of us don't go to therapy until we're in a crisis point because that's the world we live in, which is my whole mission to kind of change that. But we start in a crisis point, but then if you keep going, you know, and if you, if doing therapy, when you're actually feeling, you know, like things are okay, it's one of the best things we can do because then you can go deeper, right? It's like our minds are phenomenal. They're phenomenal in how much they can limit us and they're phenomenal in how much open, how much they can open. And there's no end to that, you know, and I'm always discovering this every day. You know, I continue to work with my mind and I continue to have my own guidance and my own therapy because there's so many ways that as humans, it just, there's layers and layers. And it's like, if we keep opening the doors, there's more and more things that are possible for us in terms of how we think and how we feel and how we see things and how we can connect. And so it's really this journey to, to give yourself the gift of self-reflection and working on yourself is so powerful. It's such a beautiful thing to do. And it's fun. Like what you're saying, I totally resonate with. Now, like I still absolutely struggle and I, you know, get stressed out and I get freaked out. But there's also this, I can laugh at myself because it's like, oh, there I go again. Right. Okay. You know, still human, <laughs> you know, and there's this level of just lightness about it, which I can only get to because I keep working at it, right? It doesn't come naturally. It's not, I'm usually, you know, you know, quite hard on myself as a general rule, you know, because of things I experienced when I was younger. And so, but we can keep working on softening and then, then it's really fun. Like I love learning about all of the ways that I'm crazy. Like I love it when I have a new insight of like, oh my gosh, you know, why did I do that? That's so nuts. Why did I think that? Why did I say that? You know, and then we go, oh, well, you know, new thing to learn. I think something to highlight there for our listeners too, is this sense, I harp on about it all the time, that these mental and emotional uh, well-being practices, they're skill sets. And which means we can grow them, we can develop them, but like any other skill set, you don't, you know, get great at guitar and then stop practicing guitar and then expect to be really good at it 10 years later. It's Absolutely. this consistent work and this practice. Absolutely. And, it, and, and in addition to that, you know, or, or alongside that is taking the pressure off ourselves to be perfect at it because mm. it really is the journey, not the destination here. Like there, there's no, I don't know a single person, myself included, that, that ever gets to a state where we don't, <laughs> go nuts in our head you know it's just the the continual recognition of each new layer of our own of our own craziness of our own whatever and just continuing to to walk the path you know rather than because that it's almost like mental health and well-being in psychology can be just another thing that we beat ourselves up about and so, you know, I should have done that. And I do that, you know, I should know better. You know, I'm a psychologist. I should know better. You know, it's such an easy story to tell yourself, but, but look, we didn't know better and that's okay. And we're always, and it's almost like that, the shame that comes when we realize something 
and we realize we're doing something a way we don't want, it's flipping that and going, well, for me to be feeling this shame means I've learned something because I wouldn't be feeling this if I didn't, if I hadn't already changed. So actually that shame is beautiful. It's like a signal that you're moving forward. So it's kind of just that whole, you know, letting go of, of the goal and the pressure and just continuing to, to do it because we love it and we love ourselves and we're, we're working at it. You know, we're working at loving ourselves. It's a, it's a continual process. I'm going to give a moment for the listeners to sort of let that settle in. For those who are listening, let that sink in. Let the, it's, it's really important that we recognize, I think there was so much beauty captured in just that statement of seeing that every feeling has its purpose and has its role. Like shame is a beautiful, as you said, experience and signal that we're learning, we're growing and actually giving ourselves the space and the compassion to grow and to learn and to develop and not have to have this perfectionist all or nothing sort of approach to ourselves. Yes, absolutely. And just maintaining that perspective that, you know, there's no problem really, Mm -hmm. you know, when you kind of, you stop and you go, because that's, you know, there's the things that we go through and they're hard and they're stressful and they're intense. And then there's the layer that we add, which is that we make ourselves wrong or we make the situation wrong. And we think that because we feel that way, there's, there's a problem with us. or there's a problem with our situation and it's letting go of that judgment and just saying, well, what if there's no problem here now? How can I work with it? You know, how can I, what choice can I make here? What choice do I want to make here? But without that layer of, of the criticism and the judgment of just there's no there's no wrong there's just it just is what it is now where do I want to go to from here which I suppose is such a in a way confronting and challenging approach to take to our own mental health and well-being when we do live in a society that is so problem focused in our approach to mental health and well-being it's very you know problem diagnosive uh put in the box and then and then fix which presumes something's broken if we're fixing um which again, I think there's a, there's a role for that to play, but to build our entire approach to well-being around that, I know personally doesn't resonate with me or gel with me. Talk to me more from your perspective around sort of this a difference in approach between a problem-focused approach, especially with teenagers and with kids, compared to a solution-focused one. Yeah, beautiful. It's it's such a you know, and you said it so well. You know, we do live in a world that wants to find the problem and fix it, and so I think you know, again, there's nothing wrong with having diagnoses. There's nothing wrong with recognizing and putting names to things to help us understand it. But the whole approach of, of figuring out what's wrong with us and fixing it means we're already on the back foot. We're already in judgment. We're already sort of limiting ourselves. So it's almost like holding that balance of, can we see the pattern? Can we see what we're doing? Can we see where we're falling into? And can we still hold that perspective that this is not me? This is not the way it always has to be. This is just something that's playing out in my life right now. So it's almost like separating ourselves from what we see and saying, well, can I, do I want it? So it's first thing asking yourself the question, do I want this to be this way in my life? So again, getting out of that, there's right or wrong or good or bad, or just because we're feeling anxious, that that has to be a bad thing. Or just because we're feeling depressed, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe actually we need to feel anxious because there's something that we need to work through. Maybe these feelings of depression are because we're experiencing something really hard and they're important for us. So it's, it's like, it's okay. We don't want to say, 
there's, you know, wipe that all away and say, we're going to pretend that everything's peachy when it's not, mm. but how can we see that, but not go into that judgment about it? So I would say it's, it's, that's the challenge. It's like, we want to be black and white. Yeah. We want to be, and this is where, you know, positive psychology is amazing in the sense of looking at the flourishing and looking at the, you know, how can we move towards joy and towards, um, you know, finding our potential. And we still want to not make those, you know, hard, difficult feelings wrong, right? It's also, you know, how, so I guess that's that, that it's, it's like, you know, wherever we go, whenever we create a dichotomy, that's the, that's a problem. Whenever we say that there's one, you know, one way's right and the other way's wrong. So I think that it's, it's, it's difficult for our mind to do, but it's like, how can we at every turn when we're thinking about mental health or anything really, how can we look at, look at it and then almost like flip it around and look at it the other way. And it's like, that's a mental exercise of, you know, okay, so I'm, I've been diagnosed with anxiety or I'm feeling really depressed. How can I stop and say, does this have to be a problem? A, right? Then B, what is there to learn? What is there to gain? How can I stop and just go into this? Accept that this is happening. Accept that it doesn't define me. It's just something I'm experiencing. And then just pause for a moment and say, what do I want to do with this? I'm so glad that you know, this is because it's something that is just aligned so closely with what we're doing with BU and, and with my perspective on all of this. And I, I think it's really encouraging to highlight the importance of giving ourselves space for that and accepting whatever is coming up for us in our life. I do worry that we have started to see larger, I think in the last decade, this bit of an overcorrect in the birth of the positive thinking movement, which I cringe at every time I see it, because I, I do see this snowballing effect of if we label ourselves as I'm a positive thinker. I'm meant to always be positive. Well, then naturally, when we have a human day and a human moment and a bit of a struggle, we judge ourselves. And so now we're frustrated at ourselves for being anxious. And then we're sad that we're frustrated that we're anxious. And all of a sudden, it just compounds. Whereas if we can give ourselves space to go, hey, I'm having a human moment at the moment. This is a completely normal experience and feeling. What can I, as you said, like, what can I learn from this? What can I do about this? But start from that place of acceptance rather than judgment it's such a healthier approach to take. Yes. Yes. And go into it. It's like, we want to, we want to run away from that. We want to, yeah, we want to make it wrong. We want to run away from it, but it's like, what is, what is, what's it offering me? You know, those, those deep, dark, intense feelings and thoughts sometimes are a real gateway into something, you know, because it's, it's, it's often a real truth that's coming up. And if we gloss over it, we don't actually get to the heart of where it's coming from. So we don't figure out what's happening in our life and how it's impacting us and, and what things we might want to change. And then I suppose it sort of sets us up to have it come back as a recurring experience until we actually yes. address what's going on. Absolutely. That's it. We're just, we're literally just running from our feelings. Mm. You know, we just go, Oh, here's a feeling. Get that away. You know, do whatever I can to get that away. But then because we don't address it, it and this is what also means that it's really hard for us to tackle the big things like, you know, is this, you know, these big questions like, am I in the right place? Do I actually, like my job, you know, do I, am I in the right relationship? You know, am I 
doing what fills me up do I, you know all of these big questions were it we don't even want to go there because we're so out of practice with the feelings that will come up as soon as we start imagining you know changing things in our lives because we don't we don't know what it's like to sit with sadness and loss and and fear and in order to do great things and to to create a life that we love we have to be able to let go of the things that aren't working and so that's a huge skill the more we push away those feelings the more we hem ourselves in to saying well we can only do things that 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 don't cause us grief well anything worth doing will have some level of grief because there's always when you do something there's always the flip side of what you lose everything is a choice and I'm really curious to hear from you where in a moment, we're going to go to a little break to hear from our sponsors. But before we do that, we've been talking quite a bit in this episode about some of the great strengths of society's approaches to mental and emotional well-being. We've also talked about some of the gaps. I'm curious what your hope for the future is, especially for well-being in the next generation. Yes. Great question. So my hope, it's a really good question. My hope is that this next generation, what I see is there's a lot of wisdom. There's increasing wisdom in these younger generations. And so my hope is that we empower this generation to think for themselves and to learn the skill of listening inward and embracing their inner world and being guided by that not by what other people outside say is right or wrong or tell them what to do and this and that, but really by what they feel. Because the other thing I see, I feel like there's increasing wisdom and there's increasing sensitivity. And I think those things go hand in hand, you know, and so people say, you know, youth mental health is rising. And I do see that. I, but what I see and the reason I think that is, is because I think they're more sensitive to what's happening around us, what's happening in our world the all of the the ways that we live that are totally crazy (laughs) you know the things that we do the way we set up our lives to be absolutely driven by you know motivated by things that are surface level and motivated by things that don't matter and obsessed with what people think about us and you know destroying the planet and you know all of these things that make no sense and i think young people are reacting to that And so I think, you know, helping them recognize that their reactions and their anxiety or depression or whatever they're struggling with is actually just showing them that they're aware of what's happening around them. So helping them harness that and and so say, okay, this world is making me anxious or this school is making me anxious or this home is making me anxious. Well, rather than making them wrong, say, okay, well, what's happening in this environment? How can we learn from the anxiety or depression or struggle of that teenager? How can we actually, rather than making them the problem to fix, hold them up and say, you're the leader. You feel this, show us the way, show us what you're feeling. How can we all learn from you? Because we all feel that we've just as adults learned to shut off from it. (laughs) And so so a young person that is feeling these things is just helping us expand. So that's, that's my hope is that we can shift this whole perspective and approach of how we see mental health and, and see it as, as a, a gateway to wisdom for our whole culture. 
That's absolutely incredible. It's something I am very passionate about seeing happen in the world as well and seeing these shifts. And I think the beautiful thing is we talk a lot at BU about the ripple effect of how we're not going to ever do it alone. It's not going to be done from one direct approach or one solution. I don't think anyone has the one size fits all answer to well-being. I don't think anyone ever will, but this collaborative, connected, human-centered approach that you're talking about, I think is such a great place to start and a great place to move forward from. So we're going to take a quick little break to hear from the amazing sponsors of our show. And then when we come back, we're going to finish off with a mystery game um, before we wrap up the show. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you will have no doubt heard the word monkey brew. And as much as we could tell you all about what the product is and why we love it, we think it's even more powerful for you to hear why this product exists in the first place because it's about so much more than just coffee. And so you can connect with that and understand the vision and the impact that this brand is making, we've actually invited the founder, Dan, into the studio to share with you the ethos, the vision, the mission of Monkey Brew Coffee. Monkey Brew is all about helping people enjoy delicious, specially roasted coffee at home while helping the environment. And the way we help the environment is by planting one tree for every kilo of coffee we sell. And I know that you've got a pretty ambitious goal for how many trees you actually want to plant. Tell us more about that. That's right. We, we aim to plant 100,000 trees by 2025. I love that. And if people want to get involved with that and play their part in it and have basically a role in those trees being planted, how can they best do that? Head to monkeybrew.org and use the code BUPODCAST at checkout to receive $5 off our sample pack. You heard it first here, people. You get a chance to not only start your day in the right way, but to know that you've had an impact on the world at the same time. Make sure you head across and become part of the movement with Monkey Brew. Okay, so basically the, a bit of a backstory behind this mystery game. I've been running this, this show now for a bit over a year and I used to always struggle with what would the closing topic or question be. And I eventually got to the point where I recognized I was just putting all this expectation and pressure on myself to have like the perfect closing question. And I went, you know what, rather than doing that to myself, I'm going to leave it entirely up to fate and see what happens. And so I went and got myself a handy little prop of a oh, giant mystery it. wheel. So we're going to spin this and whatever comes up will be our closing topic or question. Now I'll give you a little bit of decision over it. Do you want it to go clockwise or anti-clockwise when we spin it? Ooh, like it. Let's go anti-clockwise. Anti-clockwise? Okay. I love that it's even got the clicking sound effect. This was the best $17 <laughs> I ever spent. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So you've pulled the red one, which is adapt and overcome. Oh, perfect. Which is right up everything we are just talking about, actually. That's meant to be. There you go. This is why I leave it up to fate. So, there you go. <laughs> I'd love if we could close out the show by you sharing some details of a time either recently or in the past where you got to the point where you're like, there's no way this is going to work out. I think a lot of people fall into the mistake of seeing the end results and the highlight reel and going, Oh my God, like they've just automatically got it themselves there or they were so lucky or so talented. Yes. Share a story with us about a time where you were just like, I just don't think I can keep going on this. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. So many, <laughs> so many, where do I, where do I draw from? Because so I did this shift I'll try to answer this question succinctly. <laughs> a lot to say on this topic. I did this shift. So I'm a clinical psychologist, uh, you know, with training or whatever. And I did the shift in becoming an entrepreneur. So I created my own business, which was 
a completely different skill set. And I had so much doubt and insecurity in myself along the way because I didn't see myself that way. So that's a really good example of how I limited myself by my own perspective of, well, this is the only thing I'm good at, or I'm not a business person, or I don't understand that. And so there's so many places along the way. It was just this, to be able to see myself as a, a leader and as a CEO and as an entrepreneur was, was excruciating in many ways. I had to constantly break through. So I feel like I've hit up against a wall of, this is never gonna work multiple times. Well, I'm thinking of one specifically. Um, so my partner and I, so he, we, we do all of our filming. Um, we have sort of an in-house that we create these, these programs. And so we were, we had sort of moved over to the US with <laughs> kind of no plan, not really enough money. You know, we had this whole, you know, program that we'd started and, um, it, you know, we, I knew it was doing well, you know, we, we had done some of the trials, we knew it was helping, but we didn't know how we were going to scale this. We didn't know how we were going to do any of this. And we, we did this filming trip to Phoenix, Arizona, and we filmed these incredible um, stories and it was so inspiring, but <laughs> we just had this moment of absolute, um, you know, I remember we, we started, we were fighting and we were just in this, we were staying in this crummy hotel and we just got to this point where we were like, we don't know if we have enough money to make this work. And we don't, we don't know if we're going to last. And it was this point of, do we, do we have to quit? Do we have to quit and go back to Australia? Was this a mistake? Do we need to, do we need to, you know, what are we doing? You know, are we going to be able to do this? And at that point it was, it was about the financial side of it, but I've had multiple versions that are also about just, can I, can I do this in general? But that moment where, and we were just in this dark place and, and feeling miserable. And then we just started hashing it out in, in, you know, we, again, I guess that's an example where we, we really went into it. We said, fine, let's, let's embrace that thought of what, what will happen if we need to, if we need to go back. And we kind of exposed ourselves to the fear of like failure and the fear of, you know, all of these kinds of things. And we finally realized, and, you know, I remember just driving in the car and, you know, the sun was setting and it just felt like as we were driving, just the lightness was lifting of just, it's like we got to the edge and we said, well, you know what, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is we fail and we have to go back with no money. We're like, but would we really want to pull the plug early and go back with like a little bit of money and, you know, not go to the edge and not, you know, not risk going back with nothing, but we're like, what's the difference of going back with nothing or going back with a little bit, at least if we stay until we have to, until we've absolutely done everything we possibly could, then we'll know that. And then if, and then if we have to go back and we have, you know, we can't expand to, to the U S and Canada, like we wanted to, you know, we've done our best. And so it was like going to the edge, going into those feelings. And then of course, you know, it all worked out and you know we the next you know then we got you got the next break and we got the you know and so it's like and that's what I find on this entrepreneurial journey it's always this you know because all of this is self-funded so we're doing it all ourselves and and you know there's a long period of time before you can actually start making money as a business and so being able to go right up to the edge and say oh well if we if we if we totally tank it it doesn't it's okay <laughs> you know we'll we'll figure something else out, but just, just that, that, that feeling is so familiar of it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But then you just go into, well, what's the worst that can happen? 
and then you find yourself in the next step. Well, on behalf of everyone whose lives you guys have undoubtedly impacted and the ripple effect that you guys are spreading, as well as everyone listening to this episode today, thank you for persevering and for the work that you're doing. And thank you for taking some of your time to be on the show and to give back and to contribute. I really, really appreciate it. I've loved getting to connect with you more. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to connecting more in future and looking at ways to collaborate and spread that ripple effect together. Uh, for everyone who has listened and really resonated with you and really connected with what you're doing, because I know that you're doing amazing work, as you said, in Australia, the US, um, as well as Canada, I believe. So where can they best connect with you and reach out and find out more about this great work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So the website for the program is openparachuteschools.com. Um, and they can also, so that's sort of the best place to learn about the work and they can email me on there and then, um, on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter, it's Dr. Haley Watson. So just D-R-H-A-Y-L-E-Y-W-A-T-S-O-N. Amazing. And we'll put the links for all those in the show notes for everyone as well. But once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I really appreciate it. I know I've got a lot of value out of it. I know our audience will as well. And I hope you have great success into the future. I know you will. The, the, I'm so excited to see the impacts that you guys continue to spread. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to talk to you. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Coffee. Thanks for that, Dan. But seriously, if you guys haven't checked out Monkey Brew, make sure you do so via the links in the show notes. I said it at the start, I will say it again. What an incredible way to kick off season three. I'm so grateful for Haley giving her time and her knowledge and expertise to be on the show and to make an impact to you guys listening. Now, if you really resonated with what Haley was saying, make sure you connect with her on social media. All of the links are in the show notes. Or if you're a professional in the education space or maybe a parent who wants to see your children's school doing a little bit more with mental health and well-being, then make sure you contact Haley. Make sure you jump on her website at Open Parachute, get in touch and begin organizing something. It is such a great way to make a difference. So with that said, please make sure you connect and make a difference and you know really get to know Haley and her work. Please make sure you take steps forward from there. And as always, it means the world to me if you like, subscribe, review, share this podcast, do anything you can to get it out into the world and to be making an impact on other people's lives. We cannot do this alone, but I believe that with a collaborative connection-focused approach, we can really change the way the world approaches mental and emotional well-being. Now, until the next time we talk, you know what we do. Make an impact, start with self and be you. Thank you.